Welcome to Canvas Church. You are listening to our weekly celebration service message. Thank you for tuning in. Will you turn with me uh, to Luke chapter 15? And we're going to get right into the word this morning. I'm excited for what God has for us today. Luke chapter 15, and we're going to start in verse 1, which on your screen it's going to start in verse 4, but I just decided to change it. So you can listen with me until we get to verse 4, and then you can read along with me in your, in, on the screen screens. Uh, chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. I don't know if that's grumbling. It would be more like, This man. <laughs> so he told them a parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. In verse 8, or what woman having 10 silver coins, come on ladies, aren't you ladies out there with some silver coins in their purses? If she loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors and, and saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I ter- tell you, there will be joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Will you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you for your word. And God, we, as we gather together here this morning, we just ask you uh, to speak to each one of us today in only the way that you can. Uh, God, I uh, come this morning and thank you for the opportunity to share what you've placed on my heart. And God, I pray that you would just speak through me this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. One, everybody hold your finger up. Hold up one, one finger, one. Good. (laughs) Christina, you held up the right finger. Good job, good job. You can put your finger down. One, it doesn't seem like much, does it? One, it's a really small number, isn't it? Compared to 99, compared to 1,000, compared to 2,000, compared to 15 million, one seems so small, seems so insignificant. Lay's Potato Chips has a saying about their chips. Do you guys all know what it is? You can't what? You can't eat just one. Because one is not enough. One doesn't satisfy. One is, is just, it's, it's just not enough. So you can't just eat one. Now, obviously, they're saying that they're so good. You can't just eat one. But one, apparently, according to Lay's, isn't enough. It doesn't satisfy. Let's think about the penny that you have at the very bottom of your purse. You know, ladies, the, they, they collect down there, right? My purse, dear Jesus. They just collect down there, those pennies. Maybe, guys, they're on the floorboard of your car. Uh, they're under the cushions of, of, your, uh, of your couch. Uh, those, those pennies, that one cent, 
Uh, do we carry it around in our pocket to pay for our lunch on our lunch break? No, because it's not enough, right? It wouldn't, it wouldn't pay for the, the sandwich you have on your lunch break. Do we carry it around um, to pay bills that are coming due? No, we don't because it, it doesn't seem to be enough. One doesn't seem to be enough. But Jesus in this passage has something to say about the one. And we see throughout scripture some things that Jesus did in response to the one. And uh, I believe that this morning God wants to remind us that the one has so much significance. The one is so valuable. It's not like the penny that you allow to collect under the couch of your, uh, the cushions of your couch, but the one he places great value in. For us, we see and we read this passage and we see the shepherd and we can imagine in our mind the shepherd leaving the 99 in the field to go search for the one and we're like, yay, he found the one. And, and you can just see the, the portraits, you know, the pictures and the paintings that, that, you know, Jesus with the blonde flowing hair and the little lamb laying across his shoulder, you know, and you're like, oh, that's so great. Uh, you maybe imagine the woman searching the house. Um, nowadays, we're searching it for our cell phones that we lost. Um, but we, we read this passage, and, uh, and I believe that the, the importance of the one can get lost in our culture and has gotten lost in our culture because culture tells us that the 99 is more, therefore the 99 is more significant. And because there's our human nature desires, we desire to be significant, and because culture communicates to us that, well, the 99, the crowd, the, the more is significant, therefore we say, okay, well, if that's more significant than if I leave the one and I go to the 99, then I am significant. But Jesus does exactly the opposite. He leaves the 99, which the world or culture might seem to think that the massive crowd is, is so much more significant. He leaves the crowd, he leaves the 99 for the one that needs him, the one that is lost, the one that's in sin that needs salvation. And I believe that, that we see uh, throughout scripture examples of this in Jesus's life as he was walking on the earth, where Jesus left the crowd for the one and uh, there's actually a, a passage in Mark 10 that I, I love. I love this passage, and it's about a man that we come to know now as Blind Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus was a beggar. He was a blind beggar, and he was sitting along the roadside. And we read the, the story in Mark chapter, chapter 10, verses 46, 46 through 52, and we see that the Blind Bartimaeus is along the roadside, and he's most likely doing what he's done every day, begging for money. And in the passage, we see that, that there's a huge crowd that has gathered and is passing by, and Jesus is in that crowd. Jesus is in the crowd, tons of people just gathering around, and blind Bartimaeus can't see Jesus, right, because he's blind. So he can't see Jesus passing by, but he's there, and he begins to hear 
this commotion. And so he knows from what he hears that there's a large gathering of people there. And then he begins to hear the the commotion amongst the people, this word, Jesus. There he is. Can you believe it? He's coming through our town. Can you believe? There he is. Hurry. Let's go see him. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And blind Bartimaeus begins to hear this. He begins to hear this name, Jesus. And he begins to hear. And the Bible says that faith comes by hearing, right? Faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. Blind Bartimaeus begins to hear the word passing by. And as he begins to hear it, faith rises up inside of him so much so that as he's standing there, he begins to cry out. And he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And as he cries out, the crowd that's around him looks at him, just one man, one beggar, one blind man, and says, just be quiet. What are you doing? Be quiet. Don't, you know, don't, don't bother the mass. Just But blind Bartimaeus, the the faith has already been ignited inside of him. And so he begins to cry out all the more and screams out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus is so amazing that in the midst of the crowd, they had gathered. And I imagine, uh, you know, I, I was watching the Today Show and I saw this really big crowd. And there was this band that was called One Direction. And they were... There was this really big crowd that was there, and they were just pressing in. Okay, now, that was a big crowd, right? But it was just for a band. Imagine, this is Jesus. There was a massive crowd of people pressing in on him, wanting to see the one that has had performed miracles, wanting to see the one that, that, that had done miraculous things in their midst. And, and in the midst of this crowd that I can only imagine was quite loud, he heard the cry of one that needed him. He heard the cry of the one that was lost. He heard the cry of the one that had no sight, that had no vision, that couldn't see what direction to turn or where to go. He heard the cry of the one. And he leaves them. He he speaks to the crowd and says, bring him, bring the one. I call him, bring him here. And so blind Bartimaeus goes, and we know the story. We've, we've maybe heard it in Sunday school or as we were growing up, or you've heard it in church before, that blind Bartimaeus comes before Jesus, and Jesus asks him, what, what is it that you need? What is it that you want? And of course he asks for his sight. And in that moment, Jesus heals him, and he regains his sight, and everyone is amazed. Everyone is amazed. Everyone is amazed. In that moment, Jesus left the crowd for the one, the one. There's another passage in scripture that we see a large crowd. It's quite, it happened quite often. Even in times when Jesus tried to get away to be by himself, the crowd always found out where he was and they gathered to him. They gathered, gathered to him because he is the way, the truth, the life. Because he is a healer. He's Jehovah Rapha, God, our healer and our health. The crowd was always gathering around. There's another passage in Mark 5, verses 24 through 34, where there was yet another large crowd that was going along with Jesus as he was walking. And Jesus was actually on his way to go and bring healing to Jairus' daughter, who was on the verge of death. And he had heard that, and he was going with Jairus, and again, a large crowd gathered because they wanted to see him. And they were going along with him. And as they were going along with him, it says there was this woman. And 
in your Bible, you might see it listed the heading, the woman with the issue of blood. This woman for 12 years had had a discharge of blood and the doctors couldn't stop it. And it was, there was a hemorrhaging of blood that was taking place and she had sought doctor after doctor and spent money and spent all that she had to, to get better, but yet ended up so much worse even after seeking out the physicians and the doctors. And this woman saw the crowd and she saw Jesus and she knew that this is my chance. This is, this is my opportunity, but, but I'm so insignificant. I'm, I'm not important and I'm the one that shouldn't even be in the crowd because there's, there's this, I have this issue with blood coming from my body and, it, and she would have been considered unclean and she would have been considered so unclean that she wouldn't be able to be in public with people. But she knew that I'm, I, I'm one that I shouldn't be here anyways. So I'm just going to reach out and I'm just going to try to touch just the hem of Jesus's garment. Cause if I can just get the hem and, and be healed and, and get out of here, then nobody, maybe nobody will notice me. And so she's pressing through the crowd and you can imagine that she's trying to, you know, push through and get around and get through the people. And she reaches out and she does just that. She grabs a hold of just the hem, the very end, the very hem of his garment. And in that moment, the Bible says, the power left him and Jesus sensed it. He felt it. And in that moment, the woman was healed of her issue of blood that she had gone to physician after physician for and had not gotten any better, but had gotten worse. And she experienced that healing. And you know, what's interesting is Jesus could have kept going, couldn't he? Because she had gotten what she needed, right? She had received her healing. Jesus could have kept going. But I believe that he wanted to show the disciples, he wanted to show the crowd that the one is important. And so he stopped where he's at and he looks at the disciples and he says, somebody touched me. And they're like, hello, <laughs> do you see the crowd, Jesus? <laughs> yeah, lots of people are touching you right now. And he goes, no, there's somebody touching me with faith. There's somebody that touched me with faith. And he turns and the woman knowing what she had done and knowing what had happened to her, she told Jesus all the, everything. She told him the truth, told him everything that had happened. And he looks at her and he says, your faith has made you well. He stopped, amen, amen, awesome, awesome story. He stopped in the midst of the crowd for the one to encourage her, because can you imagine, she probably, had he not stopped, she probably would have just tried to slip away so that nobody would notice that she was there and, and just slip away because she felt maybe insignificant or unimportant. But Jesus wanted to make sure that she knew, that he knew that she was there and that she was valuable to him, that the one was important, that the one was valuable and that he would stop everything for her. There's another passage in Luke 19. With a wee little man, <laughs> we all know this song growing up. I personally didn't learn the song in Sunday school because I was one of the ones that Jesus had to stop for. Um, but many of us may know this song, Zacchaeus, the wee little man. I learned it from my husband and from my kids who've learned it in Sunday school classes. But there's this man by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a rich man. He was a chief tax collector, so he was a man of position. He was a man that had 
in the world's eyes, everything that you would need. He had the money, he had the position, everything that, that we run and we seek after sometimes, right? And Jesus is entering Jericho, and of course, once again, the people hear about it. And the crowd gathers, and they come along the side of the road, and they're, they're there to see Jesus. And Zacchaeus, because of his small stature, he was shorter than the people that had gathered. He couldn't see Jesus. And the Bible says that he was seeking to see who Jesus was. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. Now, the crowd... I would imagine maybe already knew who he was. That's why they were there, because they heard he was in town, and so they knew who he was, so they were gathering. But there was a man that didn't know who Jesus was, and, and so Zacchaeus climbed up into a, into a tree so that he could see Jesus and find out who he was. And as this huge, massive crowd is there, and Jesus is going on his way with purpose, he sees Zacchaeus, and he stops. And he looks to Zacchaeus, a tax collector, a sinner. He says, I'm going to your house today. And Zacchaeus received him, received Jesus. And as Jesus is at Zacchaeus' house, he makes a statement and says, salvation has come to this household. Not just to Zacchaeus, but to this household. Jesus stopped in the midst of the crowd for the one that was looking to see who he was Jesus leaves the 99 for the one sinner, for the one that's lost, for the one that needs his touch. He will leave the crowd for the one. Now, now it doesn't, Jesus leaving the crowd or turning from the crowd in the moment for the one doesn't mean that the crowd is insignificant. We see many times throughout the Gospels where Jesus has such great compassion for the crowd, don't we? The feeding of the 5,000. He's there and he's teaching them and he's with them and he turns to the disciples because he has compassion for them. They've been there so long. We've got to feed these people. So he loves the crowd. We see in another point where he's up and he looks down over the multitude and he sees them and he has such, he's moved with such compassion for them. Because they're like sheep without a shepherd. So what Jesus was seeing in that moment that I love the multitude, I love the crowd because they're all ones. They're without a shepherd to put them on his shoulder, to find them when they're lost. So we see that Jesus does have love for the crowd and compassion for the crowd, but when he's in the midst of the crowd and there's that one that is seeking, that one that is desperate, that one that is in need of salvation, he will stop and he will turn for the one. Another passage that's perplexing sometimes when you think about it, is in Mark 5, verses 1 through 20. This is a man that is referred to as the demoniac. And as you rewind a little bit before this passage into the previous, um, previous chapter, you see that, that Jesus was, was with his disciples, and he said, hey, guys, let's go to the other side. And so they get into the boat. And this is where they're in the boat and the storm happens, right? We, we've heard, maybe heard that story before. The storm comes and Jesus calms the storm and they're all amazed. And they get to the other side and they meet the demoniac. The man that was shackled and bound by, by chains and shackles. And 
He was living amongst the dead places. He was living amongst the tombs, uh, cutting himself, and had totally lost all faculties and, and couldn't control his actions any longer because he was so overwhelmed uh, by the demons that were controlling him. And the Bible says that, that he had a legion of demons. And let's just say that's a lot, okay? <laughs> How many is that? It's a lot. That's all we need to know, a lot. This man comes and, and bows before Jesus, and the demons begin to speak out. And, and we see through the story, the end result is Jesus delivers him of the demons. They leave the man. They go into these pigs, and they run down the hillside. The pigs die. And the man is then left sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. Clothed and in his right mind. He left the crowd that had gathered on the other side to come specifically for this man. Because right after he delivers this man, and the man is sitting in his right mind, Jesus gets back in the boat and he says, all right, let's go back over to the other side. I'm sure the disciples are like, okay, (laughs) why did we come here? We came for the one. We came for the one that society had given up on, the one that society had tried to control with chains and with bars and was unable to, and so they cast him away to the place of the tombs because that's really where he belonged because there was no hope for him. But Jesus says, no, there's hope for the one. There's hope for the one, and, 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 and he touches that man. He came specifically for him and then goes back to the other side where the crowd was gathered, where the crowd was gathered. Can you think of the one in your life? Can you think of the one, just one? Sometimes we get overwhelmed with the idea, right? Jesus says in the scriptures, go and make disciples of all nations. <gasps> I'm just one person, Jesus. What are you talking so just think of the one. Just think of the one. Is there one in your life that's lacking vision, that, that doesn't have any direction for their life, that doesn't know Christ, and that, that Jesus Christ has a purpose and a plan for their lives? Can you think of the one that, that issues in life have literally drained them and sucked them of all life and all joy, and, and they've, they've sought help from every direction, and they haven't found it, and they don't know that Jesus is the one that can bring what they need? He is their healer. He is the one that can bring salvation. Can you think of the one in your life that seems to have everything? Has all the possessions? Has the position? Come on, I know that the businessmen and the entrepreneurs in our church, you know, you know some of them, don't you? You know them and, and they're, they're known around your circles and in your, in your sphere of influence. And they've got the, the big house. They've got the possessions. They've got the money. But there's still something inside of them that just feels so empty. And you can see it when you look at them. You can see it in their eyes. You can hear it when the holidays come around and you ask them what they're doing. And they they don't have family around them. They don't have friends to spend time with. There There was a gentleman that lived in the same condo as us. And he lived up in the penthouse. And I was like, oh, the penthouse, man. Oh, I'd love the penthouse. That would be so awesome. And his... You know, his car sat out in the garage. But I'd see him going in and out every day. 
And I could, you could see the look. You know the look. The look that, that money can't, can't bring. The, the, the look that money, can't, that money can't satisfy, that money, possessions, position, can't, that, that void that can't be filled by those things. Can you think of that one? Can you think of the one that even you have given up on? You figure there's just no way. There's just no way. Maybe it's a family member. You just have written them off. It's impossible. They're too far gone. Even if I say the name of Jesus to them, they're going to just swear at me. They're not even going to. They're not even going to want to listen. So I don't just don't even think about it. I don't even bother. Do you have that one in your life? The Bible says, and turn, turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Who is quiet? Ah! You know God's speaking. Thank you, Jesus. Romans chapter 10 and verse 13. With that one in your mind, we'll read this together. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For every one who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without some one preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Every one who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, but how are they going to call on the name of the Lord when they haven't heard the name of the Lord? And how are they going to hear the name of the Lord unless someone goes and shares the name of the Lord? God has put you where you're at for a purpose. God has placed you in the job. He's placed you in the neighborhood. He's placed you in the family that you're in for a purpose because there's one. There's one that is there, that he's placed you there for a reason because Pastor Ben isn't in your family. He doesn't live in your neighborhood. He doesn't go to work with you every day. He's never going to meet that coworker. But God has sent someone, and that someone is you. But, Katie, I can't share Jesus. It says preach. Did you read that? I can't preach. Ah. Oh. Don't we feel like that sometimes? Have you ever felt like that sometimes? Yeah. When you see the, the young man in your neighborhood sitting out in front of your house on the curb and his dad is gone and he has nobody to talk to him, doesn't know where to go. He's one. You think, I can't do it, I can't do it, but I challenge you to think for a moment, who was the one that shared with you? Because the reality is every one of us was a one at one point in time in our lives. We were the one that didn't have a vision for our lives. We were the one that, that, that needed physical healing in our body, and we turned to doctor after doctor, yet the cancer kept keep coming. Maria was the one. When you sit back and you remember that you once were a one, then you go, I can, I can do it. I can do it. When you remember that you were one that someone shared with, 
to someone introduced to Jesus, then you can say, okay, I can, I can do this. The Bible says that the disciples, we just boil it all down. They just, they just shared what they had seen and what they had heard. You just share what you've seen Jesus do in your life, what you've heard through the Bible, through the word of God, what you've heard at church that brings encouragement and edification to you. You just share what you've seen and what you've heard and you let Jesus do the rest because Jesus isn't here on the earth today. He's not walking down the streets, listening and hearing the cry of the blind Bartimaeuses, but it's Christ in you, the hope of glory that people see. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory that they're, that they're yearning for, that they're crying out for, that they're, they're searching for. And so you are the one that he sent to your neighborhood, to your school, to your job place, to your family. There was a woman by the name of Henrietta, Henrietta Mears. Do any of you know that name? Raise your hand if you know that name. That's what I thought. A woman that, that most of us don't even know who she is. Maybe seems insignificant, like we, we don't know her name. Henrietta Mears was moved by God to teach in a Sunday school. How many of my Sunday school teachers do I have in here this morning? Come on, Aaron. <laughs> Come on, guys. She heard God challenge her to teach Sunday school in Hollywood, California, and she began to do it. She began to teach, and that Sunday school grew and grew and grew. And of the people that she influenced, there were a couple that you might know their names. One by the name of Bill Bright. One by the name of Billy Graham. One woman that most of us in this room, we don't even know who she is. And through her obedience to go and share and preach and do just what, share just what Jesus called her to share in those moments touched two men that now have touched hundreds and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people for Jesus. Because the reality is when we leave the 99 and we go to the one that's lost, that, that's in sin, that needs to hear Jesus, it's never one person going and sharing with another one person, one plus one equals what? Not in God's kingdom. When one person moved by God and challenged by God to go share the gospel with one other person, it never equals just one, it just two. It never equals just two. Because that one goes and the change and the transformation that takes place in that one, it, it affects their, their husband, it affects their wife, it affects their kids, it, ex it affects the, the co-workers that see them walk in on Monday and look at them and just look. They haven't said a word, but they just look and what's different? What happened? What'd you do this weekend? Did you go to a party? Because you looked really happy. It never just affects the one, but it spreads and it reaches multitudes. I believe Jesus is challenging us as a church because our desire is to fill all of these seats. Not with a crowd, 
but with one. With one there, and then one there, and then one over there, and then one back there, and then one right there. That needs Jesus so desperately. See, Jesus loves it when we come together as his church. He loves it when we worship, and he loves it when we get encouraged by the word in this place. But you know what causes all of heaven to rejoice? The very angels of heaven to begin to cheer. The angels of heaven to begin to stand and begin to to cry out, hallelujah, begin to, to rejoice. I can't even imagine what a party in heaven looks like. I know a fiesta at Maria and Johnny and Ortiz and Kathy's house is like, it's pretty awesome. But party in heaven, over one person that raises their hand in our services. All of heaven rejoices. All of heaven rejoices. I was, I was a one. And I thank God every day because I would have never stepped into church by myself. I would have never, I would have never done it. I wouldn't have because I didn't think that I was worthy to do so because I knew that, that, that like all of these ones that Jesus stopped, I knew that I had issues. I knew that, that I, I had made mistakes and that I had sinned and, and, and I wasn't perfect and, and I didn't feel worthy to step into church. And so I never would have gone in to a church on my own. And so I thank God every day that he sent one person in my life that was willing to, to be Christ to me, to, to display uh, the love of God to me, to, to allow Christ in him the hope of glory to shine through for me to see and to, to extend an invitation to know Jesus to me. Because without that one that had come to me and invited me to come to church and invited me to, to say that prayer and invite Jesus Christ into my life today, I wouldn't be alive today. And I believe that. I know that to be true. I had already tried to commit suicide on one occasion. I, I knew that, I know now that had not, God not sent that one to come and share with me, I, I know that I wouldn't be here this day. And so when I'm going about my day and I'm in the grocery store, I'm outside and, and my neighbor comes over with her kids and it's inconvenient for me because I've got a house full of kids myself and laundry piled up on my couch and I'm a little bit embarrassed because my house isn't clean because Saturday is my day to, to do that. I know that, that, that Jesus has called me to be the one to, to speak out and, and to love on the ones in my life. And, and, and so I'm willing to say, okay, God, use me. Let me be the one in someone else's life. And I believe that there may be someone here today that you're here and you got invited by that one. And you're sitting here and you've heard the, the stories paraphrased for the sake of time about the blind Bartimaeus or about, about the woman with the issue of bud or about Zacchaeus or about the, the man that was overcome by the demons. And, and you're hearing these things about how Jesus was willing to stop for the imperfect people because he has such compassion and love for them. And you're here and you don't know who Jesus is today. You're here for a reason. And I believe that Jesus would 
turn from the, the crowd that's gathered here. And I believe that he wants you to know that he's turning to you this morning. That he's here for you this morning. And he is here to answer the cry of your heart today. And so would you stand with me, everyone? Would you, would you stand with me as we prepare to conclude our service this morning? And you're here this morning, and you would say, I have never invited Jesus into my life to be my Savior. Maybe you're like me. Maybe this is the first time you've ever stepped into church. Me at the age of 20 years old, stepping into church for the very first time in my life, I was so scared. Woo! I like, you know, got all dressed. And I checked my hair like 15 million times before I walked out the door because I was so freaked out. I didn't know, am I wearing the right thing? Is it going to be okay? Is lightning going to strike me at the door when I try to walk in? You know? Maybe you're like me and you're here and you've never even heard about Jesus before and this is your first time. Know that right now in this moment, Jesus is turning from the crowd and he's looking at you. And he's knocking on your door this morning. In Revelations, it says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. All you have to do, try to complicate it. We try to think that we have to get everything right and perfect before we come to Jesus. But none of these people in our passages this morning had it all together. None of them were perfect. They all had issues. They were sick. They were overcome and unable to even control their own lives. Jesus said, it's okay. I got you. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit our website at www.canvaschurchsd.com.